The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. So I want to call your attention to this passage from 1 Chronicles. This, in the context of this, we are given a description of a lot of the mighty men of David. And recall the context is that David had been anointed as king, but not everyone accepted him as king. And the mighty men of David wanted to change that. The thing that's interesting about the children of Issachar, the sons of Issachar, is that their description is somewhat different than all of the other mighty men of David that are listed there. We find some are commended because of their ability to throw spears, some are commended because they could sling stones left-handed and right-handed, others are commended because they were swift as gazelles, all mighty men, uh, especially mighty men of valor in battle. But we come to the sons of Issachar, and the children of Issachar were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. In other words, these, I call these the biblical worldview guys. They understood the times in which they lived. They understood. The, the Hebrew word there is banah. And banah is something more than just knowing about. It's, it's having this deep wisdom, a deep understanding uh, the ability to connect the dots, to link things. This is what I believe a biblical world provides for us, as God has given to us an understanding of all of life, and that wisdom that comes as a result not only of that biblical worldview, but of the Spirit of God that allows us to see things in a way that the world doesn't see them, and in a world that can't connect the dots together. You recall Jesus was talking about and taking people to task. He called them hypocrites. Ye hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And I believe it is important for us as his people to have that banal, to have that understanding of the times in which we find ourselves. And to ask that question, do we understand the times in which we live? Do we know then what we should do? Because the important thing about this passage concerning the children of Issachar is that they not only understood, they had understanding of the times, but they then knew what Israel should do. They had an understanding of the times, but that was so that they could then discern what should be done. And I think that is important for us. This is what a biblical world brings to us. And it allows us to be able to see all of life, all 360 degrees of life, to understand when we look at the things that are happening in the state, things that are happening uh, from the philosophical perspective, from ethics, even uh, our understanding of history, all of those things bring us 
to a better understanding of where we are and where we find ourselves. So recall to your mind, and it's only through a historical recalling because none of you were probably even in somebody's thought in 1991. October 31st, 1991, there was a confluence of meteorological events, we could say. There was actually a hurricane, there was a northeastern, there was another major storm front, and they all aligned together at the same time. Sebastian Younger wrote a book about that, he entitled it The Perfect Storm. And there was a movie written about it in that storm, if you can imagine this, they said that there were waves in the Atlantic Ocean that reached over 100 feet high. Can you imagine being in a fishing vessel in the midst of that kind of a storm? And there was a fishing vessel there, the Andrea Gale. And in the book and in the movie, it focused upon that fishing vessel. All six of those men were lost. But I'm going to borrow from Sebastian Younger and talk about the perfect cultural storm, and in particular the seven threats that I believe are aligning in our time uh, to, today. And I submit to you that this comes from that biblical worldview that we have as believers and allows us then to understand the times in which we live and then to know what the people of God uh, should do. There's no way that we're going to be able to go through all of these. Uh, in fact, my hope and prayer is that we'll get through the first one and then introduce the second. But the first one will allow us to have a little platform upon which we can mentally stand for our time tomorrow when we talk about the biblical way forward. So we'll talk this morning about the rise of the scorner and the depraved mind. The second one is equally important. I hope we can maybe just mention a little bit of the rise of homo deus. Uh, this is the end result of what happens in a culture when we strip away the notion of absolute truth and selfishness is no longer seen as something which is not good but it is embraced and it is affirmed to the point of being in the position of seeing individual men and women as if they are divine and their heart speaks as if it is divine, a divine proclamation. The third one, and I wish we had time to go through this because it is so critical of what is happening in our culture as we see the attack upon biblical sexuality, human sexuality, the loss of the noble male, the loss of the virtuous female, and the rise of a malevolent compassion. And I'm going to stop a second because I think it's important just to pass this on to you, even though we will not reach this one. And that is that you and I find ourselves in a culture that has tipped uh, toward a feminine side, but it's not the virtuous female. It's tipped to a feminine side. And in the same way that there are cultures in the world today that have tipped to a tyrannical male side. But in our culture, as a result of that, what has happened is that compassion has become the prime ethic. But we need to recognize and understand, do not be taken by the trap of the enemy that will attempt to make you believe that all compassion is good. All compassion is not good. The scripture tells us in many places the discipline of the Lord, those who 
will not work, should not eat. If, if we told someone they couldn't eat because they didn't work today, that would be called something that was less than compassionate. But it is the compassion, this malevolent compassion that, that drives us to affirm that which is vile, to affirm that which is evil, and to make decisions which are not good, not good for individual people, not good for, uh, for our culture. The fourth is the consolidation of massive earthly power. Uh, it is very dangerous to, to speak as if your day and your time is like no other day and time. And yet we find in our day today, like no other time, I believe, this massive consolidation of power. In the history of man and nation states, that power is usually consolidated within the state. But today, we find that there is power that is consolidated within entities outside of the state uh, such that your business can be shut down, not by the state, but by other entities of power. The fifth one is the rise of a demonic worldview. I don't apologize for calling it that. It is a demonic worldview. It pits people against each other. It is sweeping through our land. Uh, the sixth one is the assessment that one would make uh, when I used to fly uh, or anyone who used to be in the Navy or whatever. If you're, if you're approaching a storm, you want to make sure that the ship, you want to make sure the aircraft, you want to make sure everything is ready and able to survive in that storm. If you uh, come down with a disease or something, a physician will do a current assessment of your health, whether or not you can even go through a surgery or and so. And this is the assessment of the health of America, and uh, that assessment is not good. And it's because we've walked away from God. I, I recall uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn in one of his great addresses, he was talking about all the things that have befallen Russia. And in the midst of that, he said, all of this has happened because men have forgotten God. And that, by, by the way, that is what happens with the biblical worldview. You can connect the dots between cause and effect. And we live in a culture today where it is difficult for people to make that uh, connection. The final is this deep and unending attack upon the biblical family and everything that God had designed for the family, including male and female and children. So let's look at this very first one and uh, do the best we can to get through this this morning because I think it's critical for you to understand. That's why we're doing this. You need to understand what I believe is happening in our culture. We're going to look at two, we'll call them regressions. Uh, I will speak of them often as a progression, but it's actually a a downward spiral, a regression, uh, the regression we see in Proverbs, and then the regression we see in Romans. This first one in Proverbs, we're in Proverbs we're introduced to three, a four uh, people. The first one is the simple one, and we read of all three of these here in the very first chapter of Proverbs, how long, ye simple ones, will we love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. So we have the simple-minded, we have the fool, we have the scorner, and throughout Proverbs, they are contrasted and compared with the wise one. 
the one who has the wisdom from God. The simple-minded, if you look at the history of our nation and our culture, this was what I believe occurred somewhere in the 1900s where we began to hear a phrase often, I'm okay, you're okay. It was a throwing off of moral values. It was the rejection of the absolute of God. But it was, it was done in a simple-minded way and we just said, I'm okay and you're okay. So there's nothing militant about it. It was just saying, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, you know, everything is great, fine, cool. But then uh, in that progression, all of a sudden, the, uh, the rise of the fool. The fool in Proverbs talks about the fool who hates knowledge, uh, who says there is no God in his heart, exchanged evil for good. And so the fool moves from the simple-minded where everything is okay, there is no absolute, but hey, I'm okay, you're okay, to now the fool begins to believe things, believe there is no God. The fool begins to exchange uh, what, is, what is good for what is evil, but he's not militant in this. That's the third stage, and that's the one we want to spend a little bit of time on in terms of the, the scorner, as the Scripture calls it. This is the militant fool, we read several passages about this. I've tried to highlight a little bit of the characteristics of the scorner. We read, first of all, Proverbs 21, proud and haughty. The scorner is proud and haughty is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. So there's a wrath associated now with what used to be, I'm okay, you're okay, or just the fool who kept it primarily to himself. There is a wrath associated with this. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out, yea, strife and reproach shall cease. In Proverbs 24, the thought of the foolishness is the, the thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. And then maybe one of my favorites, although it's not a it's not a good favorite, scornful men bring a city into a snare. And so what we find is that the scorner will have a negative impact even upon the cities. Now, I don't want to jump into eschatology, but the scripture does link uh, these together sometimes. I'm not making a statement about the end times. I'm just saying that we have a passage here that talks more about the characteristic of what the scripture calls uh, the scoffer or the mocker, how that they took how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These shall be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. So in this progression we see in Proverbs uh, a culture when one begins to do away with God, walking away from him, from his truth, from his design for life, his direction, we first of all become simple-minded and throwing off everything, and then we move into the foolish position of believing there is no God, and then finally into the position of the scorner where we then uh, begin to uh, become militant in our action towards others. So let's look now at uh, the regression that we see in, in Romans. We're introduced here in the beginning of Romans 1, to the fact that God's wrath is being revealed from heaven. Your 
familiar with the passage, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. This is the, the, the general revelation that God has given to us and why I believe it's so important for us to understand the scripture, especially Genesis, from the historical perspective. God is the one who made all of this and when we turn away from that, we're turning away from the obvious manifestation that God has given to us in the scripture around us. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Without, without an excuse, why? Because it's made plain to us. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. We were talking earlier about the rise of Homo Deus and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. When God has then said that to us, we are then introduced to a phrase that we see three times in Romans chapter one. And each of these begins, each of these sections begins with a phrase, wherefore God also gave them up to. And then uh, we find the first thing that he gives us up to, which could well be the second after that introduction to Romans. We'll look at it as the first here in this list. And then it's as if God says, if you do not return to me as a result of the, of the wrath I'm bringing on you, then I will deliver you unto this. And if you do not turn, then I will deliver you unto this. This is not unusual. We find this in the scripture. God has often come to his people and he declares to them that he's going to bring judgment upon them with the purpose of that is to wake them up. The purpose is to bring them back to their senses, to repent. And then God says, look, I'm gonna hit you with a two before and I'm gonna hit you with a two before because I want you to turn. I want you to repent and come back to me. He said, but if you do not repent, then I'll hit you with a, a steel pole. And if you do not repent, then it'll get really bad. And so we see this progression or regression here in, in Romans as well. And so the very first one, therefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the loss of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. I'll leave it to you and other uh, people, especially historians, to try and map this to our culture. I think it's something that happened occurring, occurring somewhere when we moved from the 1800s to the 1900s, when all of a sudden um, we had uh, Charles Darwin, we had Dewey, we had Freud, we had a lot of people who were now uh, bringing forth a worldview that was so very, very contrary to a biblical worldview, which was common within our culture. We didn't act like that consistently, not everybody did. But this in particular, this first, um, this first giving over to says uh, a lot about the sexual impurity that occurred between men and women. And in our culture, even though there were brothels, we knew it was wrong. And then everything began to change after, after Charles Darwin and Dewey and our entertainment 
And a lot of things in our culture, Western culture, will say, began to move in a way of sexual impurity, walking away from the notion that God had made all things and we were creatures of God, we were made in the image of God. And yet in the midst of all that, nothing changed. Nothing changed in our culture. There was no real repentance. There was no turning back to God. I even think part of you think about what happened in terms of World War I and and, uh, the Great Depression, uh, World War II, uh, Korean War, Vietnam War, all those things that happened in the 1900s, none of that turned us back uh, to God. And then in almost a breathtaking way, it appears as if as God then gives us over to the the second one, And it begins with the same words, wherefore God also gave them up to vile affections. And here the the passage, and you're probably familiar with Romans 1 here at this point, talks about the vile passions associated no longer with between male and female, but now these are vile passions that are outside of that male-female relationship, and they are listed there for us. And you may recall within our culture, it was almost as if it was an overnight change when all of a sudden we had a Supreme Court decision and the White House was lit up in rainbow colors and many of the the people of God began to say, how in the world has this happened? And it appears it was almost overnight. But it's this third one that I am most interested with you today because the third one says that God then gave them over to a reprobate mind. And the question is, what in the world is a reprobate mind. The Greek word here is adokimon. Adokimon, uh, at its, its fundamental basis, means that it is unqualified. We sometimes see this in other Greek manuscripts where we'll talk about a metal that had failed, a metal that had become adokimon. It was no longer qualified uh, to be metal in, in what, what is being said there. So, what in the world does it mean to have a mind that has been given over, uh, as the Scripture says, to, uh, to a reprobate mind, to a mind which is no longer qualified, an Ardokimon mind? I was so interested in trying to understand this, I, I flew out to California to be with a dear friend of mine. I think he's one of the greatest Greek minds that we have still alive today, and we spent time talking about. Dr. Fowler, what does this mean? What does the word mean? If you happen to sit down on a park bench next to someone who uh, had a reprobate mind, a mind that was no longer qualified, would you know it? Would you be able to discern that? Would they be twitching? Would they be frothing at the mouth? How, How would you know? And in our discussions, we were talking about what does it mean for the mind to be a qualified mind? First, let's talk about that. And... The qualified mind is a mind that God has given to us. It's a mind that can respond to God when he says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. That God has given us a mind that is logical. It's a mind that can respond to the logic of God. It's a mind that we often uh, say is imbued with common sense. It has the ability to discern the things around us and discern uh, from God what is right and what is, what is wrong. And so the mind that has become unqualified is a mind in which there is no more logic, there's no more common sense. It, it acts with, without rationality, 
and it doesn't have the capacity to connect uh, the dots. So what happens when, when the scorner is aligned with the reprobate mind, we get the irrational militant scorner. So I, I will tell you this, I fly United all the time, I do a lot of flying, and because of that, United has been very kind to me, they allow me to sit in the, in the aisle seat of the exit row. And I was seated in the aisle seat of the exit row, and a woman came frumping on the plane, I don't know how else to put it, she was not a happy camper. And she was huffing and puffing, and you could see from the expression on her face, uh, this was not a happy day for her. So she threw her stuff in the seat, she threw her stuff in the overhead, and she plopped down in the seat. And because I have a biblical worldview, I knew it was wise not to say anything at that moment, that it was best to kind of let things cool off because you can almost feel the heat radiating from her, and so I waited until it's the temperature dropped. And I finally turned to her, and I, I just said as sweetly as I could, I said, not a good day, huh? And so she, and she talked about, yeah, I, I was supposed to be on an earlier flight, and I got to the airport, and I left my wallet at home, and I didn't have my ID, and they wouldn't let me on the plane, I had to go home and get my wallet. And now I'm on this flight, I thought she would say, sitting next to you, and she didn't, but I got the idea. She didn't like being in a middle seat. Well, I logically thought this would be a good time then to engage her in that conversation, and I said, you know, it's interesting that there are some people who uh, look, at, look at this whole thing and they see you have to give an ID in order to get on a plane, but they don't think you should have an ID to vote. Whoa, it was like I'd poked a hornet's nest with a stick. And she just went berserk. I thought it was a very rational, very logical thing to say at that moment. And she obviously did not. So here we have all of a sudden a person who will not even discuss logic will not look at things rationally and responds with an emotional outburst. So we get the irrational, militant scorner, someone who is devoid of rational common sense, who is militant, arrogant, causing strife and divisions and setting cities aflame. And no doubt, if you think about it, if you're in touch at all with what's going on around us, you can think of many things of which it would be appropriate for those of us who have a biblical worldview to say this is absolutely crazy. I will only give you one example. Earlier this year, Dr. Johnson Varkey, who teaches at St. Philip's College, was speaking as he had for 20 years, and he was a microbiologist teaching in biology, teaching FY chromosomes, four students got up, marched to the administration building, and that afternoon Dr. Varkey was fired because he was, speeching, he was teaching hate speech. So when I look at that, we say that's irrational. Uh, and that is a militant, irrational approach to the reality of life around us. So 
let's talk how are we to be wise in this. We don't talk about these things in order to point fingers. What we do is we talk about this because we want to know what the people of God should do in a day like this, and I would offer this to you, and, I, and this could well be shocking to you, but I want us to ponder this, that all of our apologetics are based upon the assumption that our hearer is listening with a rational mind. We study our apologetics, which I did, I, most of my Christian life has been spent studying apologetics. But the assumption is when we speak that apologetic, we're speaking that apologetic to someone who has a rational mind, someone who can hear the truth of God, hear the argument associated with the truth of God and the lies of the world, and hopefully be able to, with that rational mind, say, oh, I understand. Well, what happens if God has indeed given our culture over to a reprobate mind, given given our culture over to a mind that can no longer process logic, or as some of you may have heard from people, and I've heard this phrase more and more, what does logic have to do with it? When you're having a discussion with someone, what does logic have to do with it? In a culture that has declared math to be a racially, uh, a racially hateful, oppressive thing, and we become frustrated because of the lack of common sense, or we say no one listens, or people are crazy. We try to force rational arguments into a rational mind. How, how do we deal then with the outsider today? And I'm going to submit to you that the, in the biblical path forward, and this is what we'll be talking about tomorrow, is that you and I are going to have to recognize and understand that the only way forward in terms of dealing with people, if God has indeed given them over to a rational mind, is that we have to build deep relationships first. We're going to have to build those relationships with people, and we're going to, we are then going to engage them with wisdom, and we're going to have to involve ourselves in a very committed, fervent, intercessory prayer and bringing people before the Lord, before the throne of God, asking God to open their eyes, asking him to soften their heart, asking him to open their ears, asking God to heal their mind that they may be able to hear and see what is true and what is false. I think God is forcing us into a position where we're going to have to do things differently than the way I used to do things. And that when I, when I did it, I was always leading with the apologetic and really had, had a little concern about any relationship. But I think what is happening today and what we see happening around us, we have to begin to realize that wisdom and how we deal with outsiders, as Colossian causes, we, we have to have wisdom in the way we deal with outsiders. I never had wisdom, I just had my agenda. And that wisdom is going to call us to recognize that we must be involved in a fervent intercessory prayer with the individual that God has placed upon our heart, placed next door to us, 
and that we're going to have to build a deep relationship with people because I believe it's going to be only in those deep relationships. Now, God can do mighty things in other ways, but I think going forward, the default is going to be that God is going to call us to engage the people around us with a deep relationship and to truly begin to love them, pray fervently for them, that God would indeed heal their mind and open their eyes and grant us the privilege to be able to speak to them of the things of God. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.